somewhere between sleeping and waking. On our journey towards the unfathomable deep, there comes a thin moment when we have one foot in the waking world and the other is in that other world where we relinquish conscious control. Pausing here and straddled between two planets that spin against each other like gears, an attentive traveller will see a narrow door, only wide enough to sidle through. This is the border of sleep, a tumbling cascade of imagination and reality, a fault line in the tectonic crust of consciousness, where volcanoes erupt the hot pumice of images and the languid ooze of narrative. Welcome to Stories from the Borders of Sleep, a weekly podcast of fairy tales for all ages from bordersofsleep.com, featuring original stories by your host, Seymour Jacklin. Visit bordersofsleep.com to find out more. So if you're ready to travel with me, then I shall begin. The Prince and the Bird by Seymour Jacklin On the morning that my story begins, a noble prince stepped out into his garden like a dignitary making an entrance at a banquet. But he was just wearing a cotton shirt and trousers, and there was no fanfare as he strode from the smaller space to a much larger one, pulling back his shoulders in order to breathe the outside air, and looking about him with the air of one who masters every living thing with his gaze. Like a true brother of Orion, with his head in the stars, he stepped along the wide path leading away from his house and between the flower beds. There was no haughtiness in his look, only the delight of a man who feels at one with himself and nature, fearing nothing and having an inexhaustible wealth behind his generous eyes. He moved as a being who was at one with his own body too. So he walked, with his eyes blessing all that he saw, and his mouth smiling for the benefit of no one but the flowers and insects that he treated as beloved and loyal subjects. I will say he was a true prince, because, knowing himself to be an heir, he was not one to make light of his inheritance. For nothing else but to feel the joy of his own movements, and to defy the stillness in the air, he opened out his stride to an easy trot. The freshly opened flowers, yet bowed with the weight of a little dew, nodded their heads so slightly as he jogged past them. He was a prince, in this kingdom of a garden whose bounds he had not yet discovered. From his earliest memory all that he had known was the wisdom of flowers and the enigmas of its architecture. Open laws and labyrinthine pathways had been his playground in boyhood, and now, in youth, a dominion in which he was haunted by the sense that his every thought and deed had a child somewhere in this landscape. The shape of this place and every detail seemed to have reference to some part of his inner being. So knowing and being known by the paths his feet beat upon this morning, he was surprised to come to an avenue that he had never seen before. A broad carriageway with a file of high poplars on either side, leading where? It was not clear to him, as if someone else had dreamt it. If he had ever trespassed before, he would know the quiver in his stomach to be that particular species of fear that accompanies most of us to forbidden places. But setting his eyes on the farthest point where sky, path and trees converged, he broke into a run. 
As he ran, the sky darkened and a breeze began to whip at the poplar leaves, flickering their silver sides up and shaking them like a witch doctor's rattle. Of course, our prince was innocent of such omens, and only noticed that he had to run stronger as the winds knocked at his limbs and tore at his hair. High under the brooding sky, a handful of birds drove and fainted against the wind, black, white and grey, as intent upon their own progress as he was upon his. Go back, his heart told him, but he overruled it, as a prince might, and ran harder. Am I not also the heir of whatever lies at the end of this avenue, he thought? I must find out. How long he ran against all the trouble the rude wind could try, yet not discouraged by the glowering sky, he could never recount after the event, but he arrived at the end of the avenue, on the same side of midday that he had set out upon, and the clouds broke up, as if tired of the effort to keep frowning, and the air settled. In the spreading sunlight, the prince found himself on the steps of a small temple, a domed roof on stone pillars so narrowly spaced all around that he could barely squeeze between them, and, once inside, he looked out as if from a cage. Inside, hanging on a chain from the centre of the dome, like the true form of the temple itself, was a steel bird cage, and within it, a tiny brown bird, helplessly clamping the bars in its beak and flustering its wings. When he saw it, the prince's heart flapped too, and was about to break with sorrow at the plight of the thing. He lifted the cage down, and for a moment the bird became still and looked at him. The pulse of its minute heart beat discernibly in its throat. Who put you in there? he asked, and we must let you out as soon as we can. He carried the cage out in the sunlight to see better if there was some latch to open the cage and free the creature. But alas, there was not even a door. He turned the thing in his hands to try and discover some way to open it, but it was sealed all about. The bird had gone back to trying the bars with its beak, as if in its desperation it was driven to repeat the futility forever. Ah, little bird, said the prince, we'll have you out of there, I vow. He put his fingers between the bars and tried to pry them apart with all his strength, but they were of such matter as no human could force. With despair catching at his throat, the prince looked about for help, some stick or stone perhaps that he could use to break them. As he looked up and down, he observed the approach of another, a man in the habit of a friar, carrying a staff and walking with some purpose came up to him. Unaccustomed as he was to seeing any other person in his domain, the prince hailed him. Brother, could you lend me your staff to pry open the bars of this cage and free this bird? The monk stopped before him, and seeing the cage in his lap and the bird within it, shook his head. Sir, this cage is not made with human hands. Only a spell or something of its own metal will force it open. I have no such thing, pleaded the prince. Give it to me, said the monk. One of my brothers is a blacksmith. I'll take it to him. At these words, the bird redoubled its efforts and flapped as best it could until its feathers were tussled and broken, darting its eyes about in terror. Looking from the cage back to the monk, the prince caught a look in his eye that chilled him. The monk was looking at the bird with something like greed. 
although he hid the look as quickly as he felt the eyes of the prince on him again. I cannot trust him, the prince thought to himself. I have vowed to free this bird and I will see it done with my own eyes. Standing up to his full height, the prince cordially declined the offer. I think that I too have the means to open the cage, he said. I will take the bird home with me. It will become a millstone around your neck, replied the monk testily. You would do better to put it back where you found it. I can't do that, said the prince. The monk shook his head and extended a hand towards the cage. Give it to me, he said. But his greed was unconcealed and desperate. So without waiting, the prince caught the cage up and ran again back down the avenue of poplars without looking back until he had regained familiar territory. So the prince brought the cage back to his house. Try as he might, with all the metal he could find, the cage remained fast and unyielding. At the end of that day, with a leaden heart, he hung the cage in his parlour. My dear little one, you will not be free today, but we shall see about tomorrow, he said, dropping a handful of seeds into the cage. And so to bed, where, for the first time in his life, the prince was kept awake the whole night with troubled thoughts. The next day, he found nothing in all the house that could prevail against the bars of the cage that hung in his parlour. And as the days turned to weeks and months, it stayed there like a shadow. Its little prisoner hardly moved from its perch, picking at its daily bread of seeds without relish and just enough to keep its minute soul in its huddled body. The prince too felt a cold despair in the parlour of his mind and picked at his food each day without appetite. After trying again to find the poplar avenue, he lost his pleasure in ranging abroad in the great garden and kicked about the house, avoiding the parlour if he could, and finding nothing to do with the passing hours but to fret within himself. He wept at times. It has become a millstone around my neck. I would have done better to have put it back where I found it. And he wondered what it was in his own soul that was so trapped as to engender such a sorry thing within his own garden. Several moons waned, and then, one night, he spoke his deepest fears into his pillow and cried himself to sleep. That same night, he had a dream. Stepping out from his quarters as he had on that very day when our story began, he dreamt of being very tall and noble, unfurling his soul into the sky again. The cage was tucked under his arm with its prisoner inside, and in the middle distance he saw a high tower to which he knew he must make his way. He set out. Presently he left any known path again, and found to his delight that the floor of his way was sprung with moss that gave off a goodly scent with every dint of his footsteps. The bird stayed silent in its prison, but the prince was glad to offer it a change of scene and balanced the cage upon one shoulder. The tower was reached all the way by staying upon the fragrant moss, and with every step he felt his energy grow and not diminish. He would need his strength, every might of it, for coming up to the tower he saw a door jar in its ankle, leading to a stairway that coiled upwards. We move in dreams with the speed of thought itself, but this never takes from the feeling that, when we arrive at our destination, we have made a very long and hard journey. 
So it was with the prince in his dream, as he laboured up that monotonous staircase, holding the cage before him until his arms ached, and gasping for breath in the narrowness of its dark coils. Yet too, in an instant, he found himself in the bare room at the very top. Overwhelmed with a wash of light from a single window that was wide enough for him to spread his arms and leap through, for that was his first thought, that he might fly. After all, such things can be done in dreams if one has had some practice. Remembering the bird in the cage, and thinking to show the little soul something of what soaring might be like, he held it aloft in the window. There, he whispered, this is perhaps a little bit like flying. See how small the trees look down there. Looking not down but straight at him, the bird opened its beak and spoke to him. Please let me fly. If you would throw this cage as far as you can, then at least I can flap my wings as it falls and feel what it is like to fly, even if I die. Oh no, you will certainly die, the prince cried. Better to fly for a few moments and die than to live out my days in this cursed cage, said the bird, and pleaded with the prince until he agreed at last that it was better to fly just once and die than never to fly at all. Perhaps if you do die, your spirit will at least be free, he said. He began to cry again. Goodbye then, my dear little bird. I have not been a good friend to you, I fear. I'm sorry I could not keep my vow. So saying, he stepped back from the window without giving himself time to change his mind and threw the cage out into the wide air with the force of all his sinews. He watched the little bird flap its wings and fly as best it could as the cage arced over the trees and fell, oh, far too quickly towards the earth and far, far too close to a mean-looking rock. The prince cried out and covered his eyes when he saw where it would land. When he dared to peel his fingers from his own face again, he could see the cage had indeed hit the rock and lay twisted like a nest of metal. But there... Hovering above it, and trilling a high cadenza was a dark little dot, trembling in mid-air. The bird! The bars of the cage had sprung apart and broken, and the bird had flown free. At that moment, the prince awoke. His pillow was damp and salty from his tears, but he knew in that instant that he must find that tower and do what the dream had instructed him to do. In a fit of resolve, he drew his nightgown on and rushed to the parlour. And there, on the ground, lay the cage, broken and empty in a pool of sunlight from the open window. He never saw the bird again, but from time to time he thought he could hear its voice high above his head, rejoicing up there in the great bowl of the sky. The soundtrack for this week's story was from the album Hidden Sky by Jamie Sieber and Lines Build Walls by Erin Starks, available from magnatune.com. Many thanks to Magnatune artists and to my sound engineer, Tim Wiles. I'll be back next week with another story, and in the meantime you can visit bordersofsleep.com for more. <laughs>